Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. And I'm Rachel. I'm Freddie. And I'm Ben. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we respond to the news that Liz Truss will be the next Prime Minister. And you ask us, what's her plan for energy bills? So we're recording just after Liz Truss has been announced as the new Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak, 60,399. Liz Truss, 81,326. Therefore, I give notice that Liz Truss is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. She got 57% of the vote of Tory members and Rishi Sunak got 43. Freddie, you were there in the hall where it was announced. What was your response to it and what was the atmosphere like? Well, I think we already knew what the result was going to be. I think it wasn't as an emphatic win as some expected. So there was a recognition of that within the hall. I think the big story is going to come in the next few days when we see Liz Truss's announcements. There wasn't actually that much policy contained within her speech. I will deliver on the energy crisis, dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply. And I will deliver on the National Health Service. But we all will deliver for for our country. I thought she was still in campaign mode. She was still speaking to the party faithful. There wasn't an attempt, for instance, to unify the party and to speak to the public and trying to communicate what she's going to do. So I think that was quite interesting. I think she missed a trick there. And um, I can imagine quite a few Tory MPs won't be as satisfied with what she said as they could have been. Yeah, it was interesting. She, There was a line in it. I was watching it on TV, so I was sort of getting it through that kind of lens. And it, her speech sounded a bit muted and, and the response to it sounded a little bit awkward. There was sort of a laughter line that she left after she said that Boris Johnson was loved from... Was it Carlisle to Kiev? Yeah, Kiev to Carlisle. Yeah, there was so many pauses throughout (laughs) the speech. It was very awkward. There was another line, I will deliver for our NHS. And there was sort of a way people were expecting her to say in what way. (laughs) She just waited. There was very awkward applause and she went on. So that was sort of the theme of the speech. Right. Okay. And Rachel, you were in the Commons while all of this was happening. What was the reaction from people you were bumping into there? I think what surprised me today is how this has felt like so much of a non-event. Yeah. It feels like a changing over of like a Lord Mayoralty rather than like <laughs> a new Prime Minister. And that's sort of like not not to say anything about the office of Prime Minister. I think it's just, we're just that used to it now. You know, we've had David Cameron, we're all in this together. 
big reaction to the Blairs trying to switch to austerity. Then we've gone to Theresa May, who was like the first Brexit PM. You know, she was going to be the compromise, bring Remain and leave together. And she got turfed out. And then we moved to Boris Johnson, who was supposed to be, you know, the completion of this realignment of of the country where he sort of smashed the red wall and it was supposed to be a whole big new thing. And this is a party that kind of prides itself on reinventing itself all the time. And I just kind of wonder, there was no buzz at all in Paul Culler's house today. It was kind of like, oh, here we go then. Right. Yeah, and I think that was kind of remarkable in itself, really. Yeah. yeah, that's a reflection in part of the problems that Liz Truss faces. But also, I think there's a creeping worry that she doesn't actually have the solutions to these problems. We've not yet had the detail. She, as I mentioned, she had a singular clause on the NHS. That was all that was in the speech. We had a few words on energy, but there was no substantive policy or anything like that. So the problems that she faces aren't matched by the solutions that she's setting up. Yeah, and we'll talk more in detail about the energy policy in the second half of the podcast. But it is interesting that one of her first challenges might be that lack of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken about how few Conservative MPs actually backed her. She wasn't the MP's favourite. And now you look at the result from the membership and, you know, she wasn't sort of streets ahead of Sunak as some of the polling, some of the sort of maybe wilder polling suggested. And that's something that we've spoken about on the podcast before as well, how what we were hearing from the members when we were talking to people in the country wasn't really matching up with some of the commentary around this race. Um, and so that that may be something that affects her confidence, but also the support that she has from the party faithful. When you sort of look at the results, trust Sunak 57.4% to 42.6%. But then Johnson's victory over Hunt was so much bigger, 66.33 roughly. David Cameron, David Davies, you know, 67.6% versus 32.4. And IDS, Ken Clark was 60.40. So she's got the worst result in the last 20 years when it comes down to the, the membership, the grassroots roots and when you think back to the sort of the beginning of the campaign there weren't that many MPs in the first instance who supported it she got more on side when it became very very clear she was going to be the victor yeah. and they kind of thought oh, I might, might which do, shows might the way the that polling can impact the way that a campaign plays out as yeah. well and I'm so glad that we've got Ben here as well who can maybe explain a little bit more about whether or not the polls were so off the mark um, and sort of how this matches up with with contest past they were off Quite a bit. If you look at all the polls, the, the average was you had almost a, a miss of close to nine percentage points, eight percentage points. Opinion closest, they got it off by four percentage points. It wasn't great. Opinion being off by four isn't terrible. Let's just remember, polling is a science. It's a science. It's not pinpoint accuracy. It is a range. You get a number and you always have to bear in mind it's probably around that number anyway. And in, in polling generally, it's three to four points out. This, though, it wasn't terrible. It, well, it wasn't great, but it wasn't abysmal. It was poor, to be honest with you. You, you had them missing out by around about eight or so percentage points. And you know what? That is the same figure, the number out was the same in 2019. So YouGov in 2019 overestimated the share of members who were going Boris Johnson by nine points. They had Johnson on, I think, 74% when he got 65% of the member vote. And if you applied that error, you know, if you applied that nine-point error to the current polls, you would have found the polls showing a much tighter race. And to be honest, the current polls got it wrong by as much as last time. That's quite curious. <laughs> now... Would that have changed the narrative? Would we have been talking about the campaign in a different way? Well, Liz Truss was still a favourite. 
She was definitely the favourite. She, she would have definitely got more than what did she get. She got 57%. And I don't know how, how much of the narrative would have changed. Rishi Sunak would have actually been in there. He would have been competitive. And yeah. I think mm. really this is, this is the problem with the way we cover polling. We need to stop looking at polling as, you know, if a poll says trust is on 60%, don't think trust is on 60%. And if the result is 59%, the poll got it wrong. Look at 60% and think, okay, historically, how badly do pollsters do? Previously, they got it out by nine points. And then you add in also the historic error, you know, margin of error. You've got to always bear that in mind. You know, it's, um, give an example, 2016 EU referendum, all the polls pointing to remain win, didn't they? Yeah, and everyone, all the academics, all the commentators thought, ah, remain was walking away with it. no. The polls, the final poll was like 51-49 to remain. If you add in margin of error, that's neck and neck. Absolutely covering polling is key, but it's the way we cover it. It's the level of nuance we give. It's the attention to the error we give. That means we cover it better. And I don't think we did that well in this campaign. I could kind of guess a little bit of the of the polling situation just from like how hard the front runner has been briefing, you know, how hard her team have been <laughs> yeah. saying, oh, you know, he's got absolutely no chance, Rishi Sunak, absolutely no chance, you know, he's he's finished. And then sort of in the run up to this result this week, it's been it's it's going to be a landslide, it's going to be so huge, going to be so huge because they want people to report that fifty seven point four percent is this massive result and that she's got complete authority and none of her MPs should ever think about rebelling or questioning her in any. <laughs> Anyways, you know, they kind of try to manage their party and manage expectations through people who are reporting the results. So I kind of think I base my my predictions on just how intense people are briefing <laughs> on the me are. Of desperation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I won't miss all of the Liz Felida and Ready for Rishi press releases in my inbox. There was a lot of policy announced weirdly during the campaign, but like you said, Freddie, we still don't know what the answers are on those key areas. I think that's a good note to move on to the second half where we will be exploring that a bit more. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12 if you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Docks on the death of Boris the Clown. When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
And now it's time for a section we like to call You, you Ask, Ask Us. Ask Us. Ben's forgiven because he is on a delay. Uh, there we go, thank you. In. <laughs> um, so the question that we have today is, what is Liz Truss's plan for energy bills? So this is the big question. And actually, we still don't know the answer. Rachel, what do we know so far? There's been a bit of briefing. From the interview that Liz Truss did in the FT some weeks ago, saying there'll be no handouts, that just does not seem to be what's going to happen at the minute. I think there's... It's a slow acceptance of the reality that people will not be able to cope with the huge rises in bills we're about to see. But it sounds like her, her plan could be like something in the region of of 100 billion. It could be absolutely huge. But how she does it is not yet clear. We've seen some people being interviewed this morning. I think Alex Shellbrooks, one of her first supporters, kind of when he was asked about something close to the Labour plan of a windfall tax, he didn't run a million miles away from it. But it sounds more likely that it's going to be a bailout for energy companies then that might mean more borrowing, basically, to try and cope with it. But there will be a plan and we're expected to get it within the next week via what? It's not an emergency budget, it's a fiscal event. (laughs) (laughs) Freddie, what are you hearing? Well, I think it is going to be bigger, as Rachel said, but we need to recognise that the tax cuts that she's already promised will happen. They are going to occur, whatever. So the additional support for people is going to come on top of them. Hence, the numbers are so vast. Hmm. So I think that's important to recognise. Mm. And some of the big lines over the weekend were that she was scrutinised over this tax cut that she's yeah. going to bring in and how it's it's not fair, that it's regressive because it means that the rich are helped more than the poor, mainly because, you know, they pay yeah. more tax because their salaries are higher. And she was saying, you know, it is fair and that we shouldn't be hung up so much on that redistribution question. Yeah. Does that suggest that she's going to take politics in a different direction? Or I, I kind of saw it as that, yeah, because it, it felt like a proper reversion to like Margaret Thatcher trickle-down economics. We, we don't necessarily oppose giving a bit more money to the more well-off and that kind of just trickling down and, and ultimately benefiting people at the bottom. Whereas in the last sort of 10 or 20 years, there's been more of a progressive approach to politics where you'd kind of want to mitigate and make sure that those who are a little bit poorer would benefit a little bit more. But that just, it just seemed like she was very hard line on that and said, yes, that is fair, that is what we... Her kind of fallback was that she said it was specifically what they'd promised in the Conservative Party manifesto. Mm. But her attitude mm. towards it, her lack of willingness to explain was quite... Or to sort of suggest that she would prepared to take a different direction was kind of striking. Mm. Yeah. yeah, because it wasn't that they promised tax cuts as such in the mm. Conservative manifesto as such. She wants to go back to what they did say, which they said they wouldn't rise, uh, increase national insurance. Mm. So I think she's trying to frame it slightly different than it actually was. And I think you also saw a massive retrenchment back to her right-wing economic beliefs in the speech today. There was no mention about levelling up, for instance. There was no mention, I mean, apart from the, the brief sentence on the NHS, there wasn't a mention of public services. But instead we got a message that really in 2019 people voted for tax cuts that's what she said that's what she said the conservatives should continue to deliver because that's what they were elected to do now as we've discussed many a time on this podcast i don't think that's correct but it shows that she's going to stick with her guns on this i think she is going to have to at some point pivot to the public and address them and we'll probably see that in the speech uh, at downing street tomorrow there's you've still got this a complete commitment to tax cuts, which I think will be a key thread throughout her premiership. Mm, I have to say that all of this stuff, when you read it, is incredibly jarring when, I mean, 
some of my colleagues and I have been speaking to people around the country about this new protest for not refusing yeah. to pay your energy bills, basically. And there's going to be a lot of people who can't pay their energy bills, let alone refusing to pay it, it uh, out of protest. And it just all of this stuff is very out of touch with what people are, uh, mm. are talking about. The only thing people were saying to us, you know, and this was... A whole range of people, you know, corner shop owners, supermarket workers, all the way up to tech industry professionals, music industry people. Everyone that we interviewed were just saying the same thing, which was we need help with our energy yeah. bills and it's going to be a disaster. And they couldn't believe that there wasn't a plan already. And actually, Ben, this is coming through in some of the polling that you've been writing about recently. I mean, how strong is that strength of feeling? And also, we see a lot of stats about sort of conservative voters even being in favour of renationalizing energy now. Oh, yeah. There's, there's always majority plurality support for taking the industry, taking whatever back into public ownership. There's always majority support for that. And that isn't often a line wheeled out by those on the Labour left, which says, well, we've got the people around us. So why not let us lead? Why not let us lead and push that message? Well, the key thing is competence. People, you need to be seen as competent. You need to be seen as capable of doing it in such a way so as not to be seen as incapable or a, a drain on resources or drain on tax or whatever. Don't pay campaign. This, this campaign, as you, as you say, which, which is encouraging us to sort of strike and boycott the energy price rise. There's a level of sympathy for it is, is quite curious. You have around about 40% of Britons who say yes, I understand that and I'd support that. And then you have around about 38% who say, no, I, I wouldn't support this boycott of higher fuel bills. And, and the age differentials is staggering, really. Mm. You have an overwhelming majority of those 18 to 24, 25 to 34, who say, you know, completely support this. And then it's the older, older generations, those coincidentally who have higher levels of uh, disposable income, who uh, <laughs> uh, 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 do not agree in not paying your bills. But no, as you say, the cost of living is king at present and anything trust you know the attention trust gives if she tries to pivot back to Rwanda or immigration or any other issue is a complete distraction from where the, the priorities of the public are at the moment it's, and it's been like that for over a year I, I I've said this on podcasts I've said this on the, the Twitter spaces the thing I keep saying is like like we are so used to whinging about our bills we do it all the time my parents do it all the time they always say oh I wish we could win some money we, we've been doing this <laughs> that in good times and bad and, and, and so that allows us to sort of forget that it's actually an issue. That sort of allowed us to forget mm. that, you know, actually people are struggling. When the reality is the level of attention to the cost of living, to inflation, to prices, to the economy, to jobs, is as high as it was during the financial crisis today. You can look at the Ipsos Issues Index and find as much. The level of attention is just staggering. And so the government to think they can drill in on Rwanda to distract voters for an election campaign, for the government to think they can make some noise about trans people, boo, hiss, you know, it, it, it really is just a total disconnect. It's bubble thing. These conservative parliamentarians who say they were anti-bubble, against the bubble, who wanted to break, break apart the Westminster bubble, they've created their own bubble by going on anything <laughs> other than the cost of living, haven't they? Well, I think it's really interesting what you say. We all moan about how much our bills are. This idea of it being something that resonates with everyone is coming through from people we've been speaking to in the Don't Pay campaign, but also Enough is Enough, which is another sort of cost of living campaign with some, with some support from figures within the Labour Party and the unions as well that's gaining momentum now. There's been quite a few big rallies. And they're, they're, what they're telling us is that they're quite surprised at, you know, how much engagement they're getting compared to other campaigns that they may yeah. have sort of 
tried to pull together in the past. You know, I think one quote from someone was, it's not just the same old crusty activists. So it's, you know, anyone is stopping them, you know, if they're giving out flyers or something or, or coming along to, to any events in the street because they understand it is touching pretty much everyone, which may be a sort of defensive Liz Truss's thing mm-hmm. about, you know, universal help yeah. <laughs> or universal tax cuts rather in, in her worldview. This isn't something that politicians can escape. Maybe in the early years of austerity, it did only affect people who, who didn't have a big enough voice to, to make that much of a difference on policy or, or in elections. But this feels different. That's what I'm being told by people that I've been speaking to who are trying to campaign on this issue. Well, I think I think it's early stages of the campaign and it's, it's kind of coming up as an issue now, isn't it? Liz Truss, I guess if I was sort of PM sitting down thinking about it between now and next summer, and I could bail out people to get through until then, I'd kind of think or hope that that campaign may lose a little bit of steam or that they can get people over the worst of it and then reconcile people with whatever comes next. So, yeah, be interesting to see what, what her bail, bailout exactly does look like and how to what stage she will get people through to because, as a lot of people pointed out to Keir Starmer when he put his windfall tax plan through, it's kind of, yeah, that's going to get you through until the next time they want to put bills up because the war in Ukraine doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on what that plan will be. We are expecting it later in the week, I think. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth, Freddie Hayward and Ben Walker. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and May Robson. And our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.